Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us today in another Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by Next Level Brands CPG Community, a merger of the experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf, the Next Level Brands community provides CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth with knowledge, training, courses, networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners in the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clare. This week, very excited to have as my guest, my good friend and fellow Treasure Valley entrepreneur, Louis Armstrong. Louis is the founder and CEO of Killer Creamery a very keto-friendly, awesome-tasting line of ice cream. Lewis has been engaged in many facets of our food industry, including development, manufacturing, and quality assurance. He has a degree in food science and a personal interest and passion for the ketogenic diet. After numerous people within the keto community had begged Lewis to come up with a no-sugar, low-carb ice cream, Killer Creamery was born. Welcome to the show, Lewis. Thanks for having me, Steve. Great to see a friendly face. This has been a while while, uh, getting together. I'm really glad we could finally pull this off. You've been busy. You've been so yeah, busy. Yeah, we all have, haven't we? <laughs> the entrepreneur's disease, right? Yeah. Doing it. it never um, stops. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I really, um, you know, it's, it's I, and I'm going to try not to be too insider here because as I know a lot of the story already, yep. so it's, it's a little harder to, oh yeah, I already figured that out. Um, but I want to take people back. Um, you and I first met about five years ago uh, when I moved to Boise. And you were involved with the folks down at Trailhead downtown, which is our, you know, our, our co-working space and yep. entrepreneurship, um, you know, community. At that time, you were doing something slightly different. Right, uh, right. Talk to us a little bit about where Killer Creamery evolved from. You met me when I was still had a glimmer in my eye and um, a dream. So <laughs> here we are still still surviving and do our thing, doing our thing. Yep. Uh, but yeah, we have evolved, of course, since that day. And uh, we started off, no, I'll take it all the way back to the, I guess, the ideation of getting into the ice cream space. So I'm a food scientist, um, been in corporate food world for a long time, I guess. Let's see, I graduated 14, I've been 14, 15 years in the food industry now. So yeah. quality assurance was kind of my background. Then the last half of my professional career was in operations. So it kind of gave me a good sense of the food space. And overall, I always knew I you know, didn't want to work for anybody, <laughs> even though I had a pretty cushy gig with my past employer. Um, I think I always knew I wanted to do something for myself. So I, I had lists of different things I wanted to try um, and produce on the food side. And the one that kind of kept sticking was ice cream. So I kind of started with an ice cream sandwich. A buddy and my, myself were just getting done at a gym and uh, went to a gas station, grabbed some ice cream sandwiches. And that's where the, the thought got planted. Like, I why does this have to be loaded with sugar? Why can't we like put something like protein in it, cut out all the sugar and make this like a functional food? Um, there's plenty of ingredients out there. It seems like it'd be easy to do. So that, this takes us back to like 2010 and the idea kind of stuck. And then 2015, I started deciding, well, I had the right time in my career and everything like that and had access to a, a small creamer where I could actually produce. And I started thinking about a recipe and really decided that was the one idea I wanted to jump into. So 2016, I launched and we launched with a high protein ice cream with the brand under the brand name of Killer Whey, like whey protein, right? 44 grams of protein in the pint, which is ridiculous and um, is still ridiculous. Um, 
but it tasted great. And we kind of got some great initial traction here. And of course, sugar-free was a big part of it too. So yeah, started producing that kind of getting a local market, um, coffee shops, gyms, anywhere where I could talk to people, farmer's market, some of our local grocery stores like Rosars, the Boise Co-op, and eventually um, our local Winco's and some Albertsons placement at, at a small level. So at this point, I was still you know producing it all myself, hand scooping, throwing in coolers, delivering it to the stores, putting it on shelf, um, getting signage up, like, I mean, literally everything <laughs> right. um, from the very much self-funded kind of standpoint. Um, but this eventually led me to um, what we are today, which is kind of evolved to Killer Creamery. And we're really just producing sugar-free products that taste great. It's kind of our goal. So everything we're doing now is evolved to that. We kind of lost the protein focus and really the, the keto community is what, what drove that. So there was a, a keto community in Boise that loved our protein ice cream because it was zero sugar and extremely low net carb. So perfect for the keto diet, except it didn't have much fat in it. So after like a year of kind of being begged by some of the local keto folks, um, to do a specific one, I promised it for about a year. Um, I finally got some interest in the keto diet myself, which I had never done a diet in my life. Probably the biggest skeptic you can think of when it comes to those type of things. And uh, what happened with me was um, the Joe Rogan podcast. Ah, a guy right. came on there called Dom Diagostino, which when you get into the keto world, it seems like this is a fairly common story. Um, he came on and started talking about the ketogenic diet. I mean, it's a natural state of the body that we just simply don't get into anymore because carbs are prevalent everywhere and sugar is kind of loaded into everything. Yep. And he started talking about the, not just the, the weight loss side of it, but the human health standpoint. So he was talking about being in a ketogenic state and how that helps Navy steel divers uh, with cognition and kind of be able to function underwater longer, better. And then that kind of opened a door of other things like cancer treatment and just thinking like, okay, our bodies are designed to be in a ketogenic state. We can do that as our main fuel source there's obviously something here. So I got hooked into it from a human health standpoint. And then of course, dramatic weight loss is associated to it, which has all sorts of benefits, right? So that's really what hooked me. It's definitely here to stay. Yeah. We found success being kind of an early mover in the space. And we went to all the trade shows and consumer facing shows. And that's really what got us um, some major placement of our products on shelf. And since then, you know, the, the keto space is kind of going nuts, of course. Like I think every yep. brand has a keto something or you see, I, th I just saw something today where the number of keto brands that launched um, in 2020 was I think double the year prior. So the, the trend is still going. Um, it's definitely getting noisy in all the categories, including ice cream of people that, you know, are claiming keto friendly and things like that. So people beware, look at the labels and hopefully understand uh, what the actual net carbs and the actual ingredients are being used. But that's where we found ourselves. And we, we, uh, continue to grow our pipeline, but probably the most exciting thing and, and kind of taking me all the way back full circle is the ice cream sandwich. So uh, my yes. original idea. Yep. Yep. Exactly. We, we finally, we've had the concept and idea of course for a long time, but we were able to finally, finally able to commercialize one and we just launched it. So sorry, that was kind of a, a long rant of how no, I no, got that's all right. it, where it, I met you to today, but takes <laughs> us through, are. takes us through the journey. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I can't wait. I haven't tried the sandwich yet, but I'm going to. So, you know, because, um, you know, obviously I've, I've, I, I eat all the other ice creams, so I, I gotta, I can't wait Good. to try it. Um, Good. in terms of the evolving of that, um, and, and again, we, we all come into this business in a little different way, but you came in as a food scientist. Um, you had worked in dairy, um, right. Yep. Beforehand and stuff. Cheese. Yeah. Mostly cheese. Okay. 
So a little yeah. bit of an advantage there. And then the serendipity yeah. part of it is I remember the, you know, going a whole bunch of times when we would meet at the little, um, you know, the little creamery, which was mm-hmm. actually built for a whole different purpose, but was really yep. cool. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it was supposed to be an ice cream shop or something. And yep, that was part of it. Yeah. And you were working and I think there was an organic milk producer that was working in it, but it was like beautiful equipment and everything else, but it had a retail front. Right. Which was kind of weird. It's like, but you've got to, you got to work with that stuff, you know, so that, that works Take out good. You can get, yep. <laughs> um, you know, so when you started and we'll go back a little bit to just still at way, um, you know, when you were going into the stores and whatever, were you selling, were you selling because you were local? Were you selling because of the protein? What, what was the pitch for killer way back then when you were putting it originally in stores? It was definitely the protein. So, at that time, like nobody was really screaming protein. Halo Top was like the first mover in the space of a the what it's, it's coined is better for you. So the better for you ice cream. Right. Halo Top was kind of the game in town. Um, a few kind of me too brands were following, them, but they were by far the category leader. And it really is the ones we should thank for kind of growing the better for you space because it's right. it's been growing like crazy. And there's you know tons of different options and nuances within that space for pretty much anybody's needs. Um, but Halo Top was the one in the space. Um, they started kind of talking about protein right after I launched our heavy, heavy protein ice cream, even though they technically really didn't have any more protein than like a Hagen does or anything like that. They marketed it really well. So, you know, kind of being on trend there and having the highest protein call out was something I used to, to, to definitely scream about for our product. It was like our, our main advantage. And of course, zero sugar, um, which Halo Top still had some sugar. I mean, minimal amounts, less than your traditional sugar traditional ice creams, but, but that was our, our main thing and probably our biggest hook. Um, and of course, being local, that, that always helps with, with movement um, initially and things like that, which is how you have to start, you know, with your, if you're like right. me and kind of a bootstrapped and got things off the ground that way. Is there in, in either formulation, the protein formulation or the current keto formulation, is there, are there challenges from a production scientific standpoint? hundred percent. Yeah. So and it's pretty probably similar in a lot of different industries, but in ice cream and a lot of these old categories that don't have a lot of innovation. So these better for you products are relatively new to the scene in the grand scheme of things. So the equipment and procedures, people, training, um, and everything like that is all revolved around your standard sugared ice creams. So to come in and bring these sugar replacers and really the challenges experience that we're obsessed about. You know, how can we make our products taste just like traditional ice cream so you're not giving up anything? And there's always that associated to the better for you category. You know, somebody comes in there, they're probably expecting to give up something. So our main goal is to, you know, I'm a food scientist and my my head head person in operations and R&D is a similar person to myself. So we're obsessed with making sure um, these products really kind of meet expectations of what ice cream should be, not just suck a little less than, than the rest. <laughs> the rest. So that's, that's been, that's been the biggest challenge with all this is trying to fit that idea into the old systems and processes, which is a very relevant story to my ice cream sandwich, which uh, has that cookie wafer on the outside. So, the whole so yeah, challenge. you cut gluten out, you cut sugar out and things get a little bit challenging. So you got to bring um, science and as much recipe development as you can to the co-packers. So you're not wasting a ton of time because it's not like these co-packers, um, especially at the scale um, that you need to get bigger distribution. It's not like they're out shopping for, okay, what's this 
what's a new process I can throw into the system and, <laughs> and complicate things for myself. Um, so that's, that would probably be one of the biggest challenges is actually scaling new products and innovations into the old systems across and the board. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute, because again, with the little creamery, mm-hmm. uh, much more control. Yep. Uh, well, how, how did you evolve the, the manufacturing side of it into co-manufacturing? And I mean, how, how did that, how did that work? I mean, that was the beauty of having that creamery and just, you know, having all the hands-on control myself. So I did hundreds of iterations of different protein ice creams and keto specific ice creams before I landed on the ones that worked in the equipment that I had, which I knew would scale into a larger co-manufacturer and technically probably worked easier in a larger co-manufacturer because they had bigger, more powerful, like mixing equipment and things like that. So yeah, it's the work that I did in that creamery that helped us move fairly quick into our processes. And same with our ice cream sandwich. Um, We're not producing it at that creamery anymore, but we've got access and friends who are food scientists and things like that. So we do a lot of that development work ourselves and bring pretty buttoned up procedures and processes that fit into the manufacturers that we're working with, um, knowing their processes and procedures and kind of what the challenges are to actually scale with them. And that's, that's definitely a part of the magic to getting all this done to the state that we're at today, at least. And you did, you did for a while, you had some DTC that you were doing as yep. well. Yep. yep. And still do. And Happy still to talk do. about it. Okay. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> On well, ice cream, at least. It's a challenge. Let's put it, you it's know. a very big challenge. So, I mean, it seems like a great entry point for many people to like, you know, do the trial and error um, to get a minimal viable product out there is direct to consumer. And a lot of people build great businesses that way, then, <clears throat> then can roll into grocery. Frozen ice cream is just a whole different game because people are used to getting ice cream at the grocery stores. To get it to grocery stores, you're in this old supply chain of, of frozen, and not just frozen, but ice cream temperature frozen. So negative 20. So that brings a whole other layer of nuances and limitations to where you can distribute and, and cost and things like that. So direct to consumer seems like a great idea. But if you think about how that works, you're kind of beholden to FedEx or UPS, um, their schedules and their efficiencies, and you're packing ice cream on, you know, 10 pounds of dry ice and insulated uh, shippers. So the cost of those alone, typically the shipping is more than the product. So uh, people are willing to pay for it. It's an option for us, of course, you know, people can buy our products through Amazon and our website and we're happy to do it, but it's definitely not something we're out promoting like crazy to generate a lot of online sales because it's just a difficult process. And coming to the summer months, the melting, any slight delay in a delivery, um, you just kind of have a nightmare of, of customer service and trying to make people happy. So we guarantee our deliveries. We refund people. We try to reship, but um, yeah, we do our best. It's there, but I don't see it being a, a place to build an ice cream company, at least yeah. today. Maybe in five years, that'll change where everything gets tightened up and there's more options. The, the drone is delivering my frozen. There product. we go. Yes. yes. <laughs> now, I, I've talked to some some people recently in frozen that I guess somewhat similar experience. Uh, some of them are still, I mean, really still trying to push it yeah. um, because they see there's something, you know, happening, but it's mostly with 3PL. Mm-hmm. So that's another layer added. But if we could get all of the frozen stuff again in a truck and it shows up in my neighborhood, you know, that might, that might work um, right. with, with the distribution. So uh, I mean, way, way back, I remember, you know, our, our early meetings, we were talking about, you were going to buy a truck, mm-hmm. you do the wrap on the truck for whatever, yep. But how did you, did you get in with independent distributors? Uh, did the store put you with the distributor? How did you find the, the guys who could get the stuff in the, 
in the store? Yeah, so it was self-distribution. Um, as we had smaller accounts and just a certain segment of stores within a region of, let's say, use Albertsons and Winco, for example, we didn't get full placement in any of those regions until the year after. But it was really that jump to a full region. So going into the once a year kind of review for ice cream and showing them our success in these minimal um, amount of stores that we were self-delivering to. And yes, I did buy a van and we, we drove that thing all the way into Southern Utah and Reno to drop off ice cream to customers and all that fun stuff. Uh, a lot of sleepless nights and craziness sleeping in a van. And we could talk about that forever, but, but essentially <laughs> I sold the van and that's because we did get some additional placements. So once we turned on, I want to say Intermountain Albertsons, our hometown here, finally committed to us. So that turned on the distributor Kehi for us. So that was our first, first kind of, okay, took it off our plate and we don't need our van anymore for Albertsons and right. had to hand it over to um, Kehi, which is a whole nother set of challenges and discoveries and, and things to kind of make sure that that's a smooth operation. Yeah. Um, but that was the first thing. And yeah, after that, we just gained enough distribution um, or enough stores that we turned on distributors or we could ship directly to warehouses where the, the group would take it to their own stores, essentially. Yeah. And you can mm-hmm. you get, get into the supply chain, as yep. it were, which, yep. um, you know, is um, kind of, right, right. And kind of already, already set up there, which um, a lot of people, that's a challenge too. Of, yeah. They're not really used is. to the fact that I'm now going into the log- logistics business as opposed to being in the food business or the, or the beverage business. You yep. Know? That's tough. Um, you know, the, the other thing, Lewis, obviously, and we've been, uh, you know, back and forth about this a few times, and that is, when you're talking about scaling, regardless of frozen or dry or whatever you're doing, but when you're making that transition from local to regional, um, finance is a big thing. Oh, yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what your experience was in dealing yeah. with it? Because you started out bootstrapping, but that's obviously not the total answer. Yeah. So, I mean, if I don't know everybody's journey, but bootstrapping is definitely, um, you see where it's a good thing published out there and all that type of stuff. And I still think it's a good thing to go through those kind of pains of, discovery of, you know, who your audience is, what the opportunity in the market is, kind of really, really be forced to understand your product and how to scale because of the lack of capital versus just throwing money at something, which there's plenty of success stories that way too. But um, I'm happy with the route we took and literally bootstrapped. So I mean, I, I sold my four-wheeler, took a home equity line of credit, cashed out my 401k. I mean, literally Uh-oh. everything I could do, all the access to capital I had. Um, and of course, friends don't and family do this, was kind don't of my do first this thing, at home, so. folks. Lewis is a this is not a recommendation, right? I'm just, there you go. I'm, I'm telling my story and hopefully nobody else has to do that. <laughs> um, but you're all in. That's the point. Point being all in. All in. That's yeah. the dedication that I have and my team does to this company. So, yeah. so we went all in friends and family, you know, um, did a, did convertible notes kind of with that. And then we did our first kind of capital raise. So it, it's at a certain point, it's, it's great. It's fun. It's, uh, you know, risky and you're, you're accessing the capital you have, but at a certain point, you got to spend a lot of money to get to that next, um, the next tier of scale with sales. So and, and, and that's where the you, capital raising really comes in. When you were looking at that, were you looking to raise in anticipation of what you kind of knew the next right iteration was going to be? Or was it Albertson said, hey, we'd like to put you into these stores? And you went, uh, oh, got to go do it. I wish it was the latter, but nope, it's all about the anticipation. So <laughs> communication on at least the frozen side, um, it's not always clear. A lot of times you don't know what you're going to get after the reviews until a PO hits 
And then often, um, sometimes a PO can get canceled on you and things like that too. So yes, that's right. It's, it's a feeling of never, no guarantees. So you got to take shots. So the best way I kind of, you know, once a year is really the ice cream reset. So, you know, we're pitching business in August, September kind of decisions loosely by November, December POs and in warehouse for distribution for that new business by January, February on shelf by April for the summer selling months. So, you know, it's kind of like once a year, you got your shot to get in for the new summer months, new summer selling months. So as you're doing that, um, I can't remember quite where I was going with that, but um, yeah, it's just seasonal. It's a seasonal business. And as you get larger, it's once a year. You know, I'm taking this big shot once a year to try to scale the company. That's because that's a very intentional thing for us. And you're at the back end of the year wondering, okay, I've got to put up all this inventory for potential, you know, double my growth, triple my growth. What's it really going to be? So you don't have any clear answers, but you got to start putting, you know, points up on the board per se with inventory to get to, to make sure that you have a product to, for the growth that's coming without any guarantees from the people that you just pitched. So you're definitely taking shots. And it's a big guessing game. So I always tried to capitalize the business with my best guess. So not going overboard because you don't want to dilute the company when you don't have to. Right. And luckily, I'll, I'll say, quote unquote, it kind of, kind of worked out, I guess, because we're still here. And I feel like we've been fairly strategic with our, our capital raises and mm-hmm. feeling good about where we're at right now and, and the kind of the, the story we have coming. And... Um, it, it, this would be good because I haven't asked you this and I know that. Have you ever gotten one of those negative POs from Kate? You know? oh, oh, yeah. There's plenty <laughs> yeah, of shenanigans. Where it's like, um, wait a minute. Board. I owe you money? How yep. does this work? Yep, exactly. I, yeah. I got one of those surprises a couple months ago. And uh, luckily, I was booking a bunch of, a bunch of business uh, with him. So I was able to balance that out. Uh, but CNS, another one, uh, UNFI, all of them, they'll find a way to get you. It's just... It's just complicated. If you, even if there is problems that you can prove, it just you know it might take nine months before you recover those funds. So that's right. challenging when you're raising money and don't have access to a lot of cash on the books and things like that. So that is I, definitely one of the most difficult parts. I had someone scaling. who asked me in a phone conversation the other day, he says, you know, I'm going to have to bring on a person full time to deal with, oh, yeah. you know, uh, a reconciliation. And I said, Black congratulations, hole. you must be doing like a hell of a job with sales. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things that, that comes <laughs> along with it. Um, so uh, let's talk for a minute about CMEs because it's going back to the sandwich mm-hmm. idea. Whatever. Okay. So from a production standpoint, it adds a whole nother set of things. In, into oh, yeah. It. Uh, a second how, co-backer. Yeah. And how are you achieving the crunch and the topping and whatever else? And, and what are you doing with that? How does that work? Yeah. So that was a kind of a two-year project to get that going. And COVID slowed it down in a way because this category of novelty, which is like your single serve thing on a stick, um, sandwich, you know, just kind of grab and go type thing is a novelty. And that category through the pandemic and prior has been growing like crazy. So the people that we are looking to co-pack with to produce the wafer, of course, are extremely busy because their category is on fire. They don't really need us. So getting line time was the difficult part there. But once we did secure that, we were finally able to, to scale our recipe within their system and produce that chocolate wafer. And the challenge there, of course, is we went gluten-free, which gluten in baking products is a pretty typical thing. Sure. Um, so we replaced gluten with pea protein and some oat and some things like that. And of course, sugar-free too. So sugar is typically a very large part of a lot of these types of things too. So we have sugar replacers like allulose and monk fruit 
in our products. So that was the challenge, um, getting, getting those things into their system, you know, the same mixer, the same belts for cooking and rolling, um, fitting our process in there. And, and frankly, it probably, you know, as these things go, it probably went off pretty well. It felt extremely stressful and time consuming on our end. But as these things kind of, you, you know, take it from the 30,000 foot view, I, I guess things went pretty smooth in a way. <laughs> it just took a lot longer. And our launch of these sandwiches took, um, a couple extra months than we were anticipating. So we kind of missed some reviews and or missed the resets technically on a couple of our regions that were in right, exactly. with yep. Albertson. So that's, that's always challenging and not a great way to kind of start off, but it is a unique enough product. And, you know, this is keto friendly, zero sugar, gluten-free checks all the boxes, just like our other, our other um, killer creamery products. Um, and it really is the first kind of that traditional rectangular wafer sandwich to market that, does all this type of stuff. So um, really excited about it. And the cool thing about it, um, even beyond our pint ice cream, is that we're getting feedback from people that are even outside of the keto space or even outside of the better for you space that just think it tastes amazing. Like they eat it. This is a great tasting ice cream sandwich. So talk about our goal being achieved, which would be we're just making awesome tasting ice creams. And oh, by the way, it has no sugar in it and a bunch of junk. So so yeah, check the box there. We're extremely proud of it. Um, Can't wait to get some some more feedback on it and get some excitement around it. You, you, you mentioned the little hiccup with uh, production due to COVID. What about, mm-hmm. what about the pandemic effect on pints and quarts? And what about specifically with the brand? So the category in general grew like crazy. I mean, you're talking 18% in pints. Um, I think a little bit north of that for novelties. And just as an example, prior to that, you know, like a half point growth for the entire ice cream pints set was the norm. Not much movement, but slight growth. But you're you're talking double digit growth, which is bananas. Yeah, I would not say that it benefited startup companies as much. Um, Companies like Ben and Jerry's and the big, well distributed, well oiled machines really took advantage with skew consolidation, uh, making sure that they had distributors full, all that type of stuff. There are cases where we got ignored for sure, especially early on, as some trucks were getting dedicated to toilet paper and things like that. We had delays in a lot of our launches and just poor fill rates because of that. So uh, there's probably other people that did help out, but for us, it really didn't help that much. Um, the category was on fire, so I'm sure we got some extra eyeballs that way and maybe some additional trial, but we definitely didn't get the lift of like an old established brand that you would see. But it's great seeing our category kind of on fire. And most of that growth that I mentioned, um, a lot of it does happen to be in the the better for you space um, from a broad sense. Right. Which is sort of a, a little bit of a silver lining in the fact yep. that people are paying more attention to what they're putting into their bodies. And yep. you know, maybe they started exercising when they were home and uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So it, 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 you know, it, it'll be interesting to see because we're, we're sort of now past the half year, but right. we're, we're, we're um, a lot of the habits, the purchasing habits and stuff have stuck around. Yes. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that really blossomed with e-commerce is not at March of 2020 levels, right. but it hasn't gone down to March of 19 levels anywhere near. Yeah, so a lot of that is still still going on. Very curious um, to see how it all shakes out. Did you get cut with? I mean, uh, or hurt with a lot of sampling or demo? How important is that to to you guys? Yeah. Um, so demoing can be kind of a black hole, but we've always thought it's a, a great tool for us. We saw awesome lift in our Whole Foods distribution central markets, places like that. So it was definitely a blow to us. So we, you know, we try to find creative ways to 
continue to get people sampling. So couponing, some things like that, and work with some other groups that can kind of, you know, target the right customers for you, get them free sample kind of coupons to go do the sampling themselves. But I definitely feel like we missed out with that. And, you know, I'm sure you saw Costco authorized it and some other retailers are following suit. I think, I think people are waiting for like one or two of the big guys to to make the move so they didn't feel guilty or I don't know what it was, but now it seems like it's dominoing back. So we're able to activate oh, some more sampling. So their, their attorneys could say, okay, yep. well, they're doing it. <laughs> I guess you, you can do it. And there's, there's some changes to it. Although, you know, because yeah. people, would, people would say, well, you know, we want to go to a single serve or whatever. And you go, do you yeah. realize that it makes, it costs me more to make the single serve oh, yeah. than it does the whole thing. So yeah. I might as well just stand there and give the full product out because it's going to be cheaper for me at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, some, some definite changes. So, so right now sandwiches were rolling out. Um, and, um, but you know, what happens with your particular, with the brand and your particular customers, do you see as much seasonality as the category or or do you perform a little better in the category? Uh, The seasonality is still there. I think we have a little bit more of a lift through the winter months. Um, as you kind of get that, you know, the weight loss crowd, um, that's typical for the end of the year, like January, February type of stuff. We, of course, promote around that time too. So I don't have a great idea if it's just because we promote or or how it is. But definitely the Better For You category has more appeal um, outside of that too. So we do have the, this, the, the warm weather um, ups and downs of ice cream. It's definitely part of our business. I think we get that little bit of a little bit of help through the winter, though. Good, good. Um, when yeah. you were Lewis, when you were putting stuff together in the early days. I know you know it was a lot of you doing it yourself and stuff. As you started adding to the team, mm-hmm. what did you did you add like sales because you thought I don't want to do sales, or did you sort out that thing of what am I good at, what do I want to do versus mm-hmm. oh my god, I need an accountant? How did you add to the yeah. team? How that evolved? Well, Steve's still trying to figure that out. Um, <laughs> Um, I, what I've done mostly is probably get to a breaking points in a way and then find a solution. So a lot of times that's third-party support. So, you know, I've got an outsourced CFO that's helping me with some management of our just general business and financial health, um, onboarding an outsourced uh, controller as well. And hopefully towards the back end of this year, I can actually hire one full-time to handle those deductions and the craziness that we kind of alluded to before with trade spend and that's yeah, the black hole, essentially, we'll call it. Um, on the sales side, that's definitely been one. And we actually literally just onboarded somebody this week as our VP oh, of sales. So yeah. Huh. Totally so happy. Yeah. So we've used, you know, me, um, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, easy to sell, but the account management is definitely a whole nuanced job by itself. So I'll I'll even call it like selling the easy part, like getting on shelf is the easy part, but getting it off shelf and getting it off shelf again and ma- maintaining these accounts and being yep. accurate and flawless execution is man, something we're constantly chasing. And it's, yeah, we can, yeah, we can have a whole podcast on just certain <laughs> retailers and things like that about how difficult it is just to even get a promotion done properly and things like that. So excited to kind of grow that side. So it's a little bit of uh, finding where the weaknesses are the, within the business and trying to add support there, whether uh, if you can afford, you know, a full-time person, then hell yeah. But, you know, a lot of times we have to rely on some internal resources, um, beg people for some help, um, get consultants, all that type of stuff. So it all kind of comes with the growth of the company. And it feels good to be in a spot where we can kind of start justifying some growth of these departments and maybe even growth within departments to help support 
right. leads that we have. Well, in in promotion promotion compliance, mm-hmm. which you know I've worked a lot with. Um, you know, the old saying was is sixty percent is a hundred percent. Yeah. If you get sixty percent, <laughs> that's a hundred. You're never you're not gonna you know, why do I go into the store and the signage is enough? Well, because that's one of those tours and that's just yeah. the way it's gonna be. So yeah, you know, you know aim, aim low. I've never actually heard that, but I'm probably gonna use that as my internal mantra now. Should, That'll help yeah, me stay calm. You can write out sixty percent, and I and I believe that actually goes back to a Nestle. Sales okay. You told me that. Gotcha. Yeah, sixty percent. So, well, we were only in 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 sixty eight percent of the stores. We did yeah. the, with the the Nielsen analysis, right? Because Nielsen will tell you when yeah. the displays are up. And he's like, "Are you kidding? Sixty eight percent? That's whoa! That's a hundred. <laughs> yes, it's one hundred eight percent. Okay, it's how we, overachieved. How how we work it? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, well, the other thing too is is that um. You have uh, there's can there can be a tendency because you're working with frozen mm. of merchandising and stuff of people not wanting to have the doors yeah. open because it creates frost and there's the old thing of all you know the pushing the putting the new product pushing the oh, old product yeah. back further and further and further until there's yep. like a layer of frost on it and yep. you know we have some kind of we have a we use Slack for a lot of our internal communication right. we've got a channel in there where we'll you know, have a merchandising channel essentially. And as either merchandisers or ourselves are out at stores, we take pictures and share. And it's pretty funny how some of the dinosaurs that come up from like, how is it even possible for this to be on shelf anymore? Like this was so long ago. There's been so many turns through this region. It's I mean, damn near impossible. So you wonder what box they found, where it was buried um, and all that type of stuff. It's still blows my mind. Um, some of the rotation stuff we've seen out there, but it's to be expected in a way. But but, but it happens everywhere. I got an email from oh, Amazon, yeah. right? From Amazon saying, oh, there's, there's X amount of dated product that's here. And it's yeah. like email back going, the product is fulfilled by Amazon, yeah. FBA. <laughs> How is that my yeah. problem? Exactly. Right? Your, your guys in the, in the warehouse just left the last ones on the pallet sitting there and just decided not to rotate them. That's yeah. what happened. You know? <laughs> And by the way, it has a year shelf life. So yeah. it's like, seriously? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's how that, that's how that goes. Um, from a, uh, obviously a close association with both Albertsons and Winco, which are headquartered in Boise, yep. but um, other Albertsons divisions, other, yeah. uh, other store, what, what are you, what are you looking at now for, for role? Yeah. Well, our pints are in most of the Albertsons divisions, um, excluding like Jewel Osco in the Chicago area. Yeah. And Northern California and Seattle, but the rest we do have, but obviously coming to the reviews, we want to take some of the success stories and expand within Albertsons most that we can. Um, great retailer, love having the kind of close personal connections. Um, I, I would say maybe early on, I got some introductions from it, but at this stage, it doesn't help really. <laughs> Me saying I'm from Boise, hey, corporate's here. That's nice. um, it's, it is yeah. all numbers at this yeah, point. Right. Like. Yeah. It's a blind eye until you show the numbers, essentially. Like, yeah, who cares? Who cares? But how are you? How's your performance? Which what it, it's what it should be, you know? It's nice um, to get some favorable introductions, but you got to prove yourself on shelf. Uh, you have to be, right. You have to be, uh, deserve to be on shelf, as Joe Malay, yep. my good friend, says. You got to deserve to be on shelf. Uh, mm-hmm. You touched on real quick is, let's talk about for just a quick second. A lot of folks out there, um, when we talk about data, and you and I have talked just in this you know, segment about IRI and, and Nielsen yeah. and whatever, but- your access to data as a small manufacturer, particularly, yeah. is not real good. No. And then when you go with a distributor, somehow in the technology, at least my opinion is, is they sort of really haven't come up to the bar 
yeah. of like my $7 package from Federal Express. I know when the plane landed. I know right. when it, right? I know the <laughs> yeah. truck. I know where the driver is. But for a $100,000 order through a distributor, I don't know where any of that stuff went. How's that possible? So talk yeah. about the challenges of data from a- Yeah, data. That's been the biggest missing thing we had as a startup. And you know, when you're self-funding and bootstrapping and have minimal money, it's a place that you just can't afford to use. So you kind of beg, borrow, steal what you can get. A lot of the distributors have access points or portals or reports that you can pay smaller amounts to get into. But it's really kind of- you know, good things to keep tabs on. You can see what's happening monthly, but you lack the insights to the category, how your competition is doing. You know, it may look like you're moving quite a bit of product, but if it's not enough for the whole category, then, you know, it's not a good thing. So, so data is really important. Obviously, we were lucky enough to be able to finally afford data, kind of the back end of last year. So data is new to my company and thankfully we have it now. And it's uh, yep. an amazing tool to have and highly recommended if anybody has access to it or can afford it. Of course, you got you to gotta understand your retailer. You got to understand your competition. And it just keeps you obviously out of being reactive and you can actually be slightly proactive. I mean, you're always looking at the past a little bit with some of this data, but at least that you can be a little bit more reactive and well, sorry, proactive to right. what you're doing and what's kind of coming up so you can plan ahead. Yeah, because it's, it's so critical to larger companies that oh, yeah. have access to it. And, and even they don't always get it right. I mean, it's yeah. just, there's sometimes this idea of big data is there's too much yeah, a little bit too much. And, you know, too much data. What's called paralysis by analysis can yeah. be you know part of that too. Yep. Awesome stuff. Well, um, so Lewis, I want to ask you, because we, we do this for our, our guests, is um, since mm-hmm. we're a show for fellow entrepreneurs uh, and makes up a large portion of the audience, um, if you could pick out for us, uh, we call it words to grow by. It's a word, yeah. a phrase, a topic, a pet peeve. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever you want to, you would like to leave with uh, people who are, you know, on a journey like yours. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably go down the pet peeve side um, <laughs> or maybe more of a warning, but it's kind of an internal joke, but also kind of very true. And I think a good one for a lot of companies starting up the way that we have, um, it's the good idea fairy and be, be wary of the good idea fairy, idea fairy, because as you start getting a little initial success and more people involved and especially money, um, the good idea fairy starts floating around trying to drop many ideas of things that you should be doing or things that you could be doing. So my warning would be, you know, it's a lot of ideas sometimes are good and you have to pay attention to them and understand them. But remember what you're doing. Um, you're the expert. You have the, the category, hopefully information with that data that we just talked about. You understand the competitive landscape. You understand your opportunity to keep growing. You're the expert. You're the one that's intimately tied to it. And the people that are kind of surrounding it may not have all those insights that you do. So don't take leaps. Um, listen to the good idea, Ferry, but don't take it too seriously because that can be an extreme distraction from your limited resources of your team and your capital and everything like that. Stay on the path. Focus. <laughs> yes. Focus. No, that seems like such an easy thing to say, and I'm sure everybody does, but to actually do it is a whole other animal. That's, that's great advice. I, I work with another company that, that where... Uh, about two years ago, they went through some fundraising okay. with a couple of different VC groups. And basically it was like three days, three different groups, you know, the, oh the, the, the conference room all decked out and the lunches yeah. prepared and whatever else. But out of each of the groups, there was, there was at least one person with each VC group who was a frustrated food manufacturer uh, right, or producer yeah. or chef yeah. worse. Yeah. And yeah. 
and they would just hammer on this. Well, you know, you know, you could do this. And what about this? Yeah. Oh, and you're like, okay, wait. And, and the second day it was like, is it me? Is it the air in here? And the yeah. third day it happened to, yeah, same thing. It's like the good idea fairy. It's like, oh yeah, you guys really ought to be doing this. Yeah, great. Yeah. You know, have you ever like actually made anything yourself? Yep. Right? You know, <laughs> or have you just looked at numbers on a page all day? Because yeah. that's not how it works, you know? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Out. But anyway, well, listen, hey, it's so great for you've taken the time. I know you're busy and uh, I know we've got the, the, the sandwiches launched and that's really great. And the line's growing. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we got together a, a long time ago and I remember looking at some of the first, uh, numbers from Winco and saying to myself, yeah. folks, if you don't know Winco, you probably have a food for less or something else nearby you, but basically a heavily discount warehouse type operation. And that's not what killer creamery ice cream really is mm-hmm. in the positioning or in the price. And I looked at the numbers on the store basis and went, Lewis. This is going to be okay. It's working. I mean, yeah. If you're turning those kind of numbers in Winco, I mean, yeah. God knows what we'll do in new seasons or, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, at any rate, so thank you so much for, uh, you know, sharing some of the stuff with us and, and we'll get you back on the, we'll get back on the show again when you launch nationally and, you know, are everywhere and whatever. But in the meantime, folks can go, what's the um, website, Lewis, real quick? Yeah. So find us killercreamery.com and Instagram's kind of our main social platform where you'll see all our activities and new product launches and flavors and things like that. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can do this in person next time, Steve. That'll be great. No problem. <laughs> yes. And, and I'll, and I'm, I'm grabbing some sandwiches and I'll let you know what I think. So we'll awesome. That out. All right. All right. Thank you. thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining us today on the next level brands podcast, part of the next level brand CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health and wellness, or even small goods, you should be a part of the next level brands community, education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and more. More information available always at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.